The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. As you gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season, Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer, Chris Horwadell is joined by the Dan Patrick Show Danettes for their NFL postseason analysis. I, I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time, uh, which the Jaguars were already a part of one of those against the Colts this year, so we'll see True. if they replicate that. Check out the Underdog Network and the Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On the January 10th edition of the PFF Forecast, we've got the coaching carousel, Kyler Murray, some dark web considerations, and of course, the divisional round. Let's rock. Uh, we're going to pour one out here for defensive coaches. They're now, they've been totally wiped away. No one cares about defense except for the Denver Broncos, which is ironic, although they have a pretty strong offensive uh, setup there with Kubiak. Is this the end of defensive coaches becoming strong head coaching candidates? If we know anything about the NFL, something's going to work, and then a bunch of people are going to rush to it, and then there's going to be a fraction of them that are going to try to go against it just to go against it. And so I think, you know, offense is, is having its day right now. Passing the ball is having its day. But as we're going to see with a Dan Quinn quote here, the, 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 uh, there's always a, some pressure to sort of go against the grain and be more football. Uh, and so I, I don't see it as the end. I see it as a, as a minor blip on the radar screen. The Cliff Kingsbury anger was really harsh. There's a lot of people that were very angry that an unsuccessful college coach given the win-loss record got a head coaching job i don't like to you know gloat but i called this three weeks ago i said a team that is not the marquee option out there should take a chance on cliff kingsbury because if he goes somewhere as an offensive coordinator and has one good year he will be the hottest he will be the number one head coaching candidate and a team like the cardinals will not be able to bring him in there Cardinals have nothing to lose. They were absolutely awful last year. Wilkes and McCoy and whatever the heck came after that was not going to get it done. So this made perfect sense to me. Um, I, I think there are others out there that probably, you know, Mike Leach, I don't know if he wants to coach in the NFL, but like it, it's not as if we're saying those guys shouldn't make it. I think they should get a chance. I'm surprised that your guy, B. Enemy, has not has not gotten a job yet he could be the frank reich of this year's yeah there's still two coaching jobs available although it sounds like the dolphins have zeroed in on chris richard i think if my last name was richard i would call myself richard as well uh to be honest and then uh what's the last one available I, I'm, I'm uh dolphins and Bengals. Bengals. Well, hometown Bengals. yeah uh i don't uh, is any i mean that's going to be a great one, right? We're like, and that could be the Frank Reich, you know, type of place where like this place doesn't look great, uh, people aren't enamored with ownership on the outside, all this kind of stuff, and then uh, you know, the uh, enemy comes. The enemy, a former Bengals running back, by the way, comes. It makes in, perfect sense. Uh, comes in and, and turns it around with a, a team full of uh, talent. Uh, I think the Bengals have pretty decent talent defensively. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. What do you think of Gase going to the Jets? 
So the weird thing is, is Adam Gase gets, I think, some credit for having a team perform well with the likes of Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, with the likes of, you know, Brock Osweiler at times, Jay Cutler at times, Matt Moore, played a playoff game with Matt Moore. But he has never looked really good in our coaching metrics. He's, you know, a lot of close wins. I think that their point differential during his time with the Dolphins is like fifth worst in the NFL. And so I'm not sure. I think, honestly, the fact that like all these AFC East coaches go to like two teams before they like flame out is really funny. Um, And so I, I think this is a desperation move. However, if Adam Gaze's, you know, if his reputation is fulfilled, that'd be a good thing for Darnold, right? Because uh, he's clearly looking for uh, somebody to elevate his career. So, I don't know. I'm I'm negative on it, but I could be persuaded otherwise. You could also look at it from the positive side, where Tannehill was really bad, and despite Tannehill being so bad, the team wasn't a total catastrophe. Uh, best pass rating on screens last year. Did Tannehill have? Yep. So. I mean, seven and nine with that team is pretty impressive. So yeah, it's not, not too know. terrible. So the the interesting thing about coaching is that it's not a pure play calling role. So much of it is can you establish a culture and you know uh, well, wait, accountability. No, no, no. Finish that sentence properly. Establish the run. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, can you build a culture? Can you connect with the players? Can you get them? to really buy in, as Frank Reich did, to get them over the tough times of the season. It's not an easy thing to do. Obviously, Sean McVay was able to do it. Just because you're young and charismatic and have coached offense does not make you Sean McVay, and that's important. But it's also important to realize that, look, young younger guys and younger women, for that matter, have an easier time connecting with younger people. It's just fairly simple right you see this in teaching all the time so i think there's something to it and not all these guys will work out so there's always going to be teams that are going to go against it but i I don't think this is i just want to grab someone that has had a cup of tea with sean mcveigh i think it's more look we've seen things that have worked matt Nagy, sean mcveigh kyle shanahan doug peterson coaches that are a little younger heart who have an offensive background who the players can really buy into the way that they live their life and coach. So I think people need to chill out just a little bit. Just a little bit. You don't say. Got to chill out. All right. Kyler Murray deciding whether to play football or baseball. I heard this morning on ESPN that Kyler Murray was better last year than Baker Mayfield was in his final season at Oklahoma. This gives you the idea of the type of excitement (laughs) <laughs> the type of hyperbole that is We're living on the analytical edge. We're living on the edge. So, um, yes or no? Agree or disagree? So, I disagree, but I also think Kyler Murray is a great prospect. Both can be true, yes. shockingly. He is coming out at a time... So, there are a couple ways to think about this. The first is, he's coming out into a class that had no real strong candidates. Dwayne Haskins everyone was losing their mind over him and he is not anywhere near what a lot of the guys were last season and then the second way to look at it is how much this potentially helps the cardinals because murray seems to be a legit option as the number one pick and so whether they want to keep rosen or draft kyler murray and trade away uh, josh rosen this increases their leverage quite a bit 
Yeah, absolutely. So to speak to your first point about draft class, Kyler Murray generated twice as many expected points added per drop back this season than the next best uh, quarterback in the in the draft class, which is Will Greer, who is good in his own right. Uh, his PFF grade per drop back is almost twice as high as Greer's as well. 41% of Kyler Murray's passes this this year were positively graded. 8% were big-time throws. So when you look at that, I mean, I, you know, there are tons of questions, right? And we'll get into the NFL throws research later on in the, in the offseason. We'll get into some of the accuracy charting and everything like that. But what lit up about Baker Mayfield on first blush was the fact that this guy is making throws. And Kyler Murray... You know, even though I don't necessarily think he's as good of a prospect, has that same trait. He makes throws, uh, and you know, you add in his athleticism, and you add in the fact that the NFL is seemingly more open to quarterbacks who don't look like Blaine Gabbard, who don't look like Jake Locker. Um, uh, I think it's a good thing, and I think uh, you know, a team that's enterprising enough, a team that's uh, you know, I, uh, progressive enough, uh, will embrace him. And, and what, what's the worst case scenario if you end up with Murray? The worst case scenario? Yeah. He plays baseball. He plays baseball. Okay. So <laughs> let's assume he plays football. What's the worst case scenario? I, you know, I guess it's hard to imagine a guy actually being just too short, but that has to be it, yeah. right? He's five, eight. And does that limit his ability to, actually win from the pocket the question there though is do you can you know it can you build an offense around a guy with that much talent and be successful and my argument would be yes you absolutely can if you can build an offense around a guy like jared goff for example who can't get outside of the pocket really who isn't good outside of structure it seems to me like you would be able to build one around kyler murray right um and and he has been the interesting thing about Kyler Murray is he's not just he is not just an athlete that runs around. Yep. He is an accurate thrower of the football, um, and he was accurate regardless of the separation that he dealt with. Um, so it, I, I don't know. It, to me, it seems like a no brainer that you would take a chance on him, and he's the best prospect of the group. So that puts him at one. So so here's the que- so my thought is. I think in the absolute worst case scenario, Kyler Murray is a Kiki Kuti who can pass. Okay. So so we so we saw like you know we saw with the Saints with Taysom Hill we saw the we saw the Texans with Kiki Kuti we 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 saw the Ravens with Lamar Jackson right at, well, prior to when he was the starting quarterback. How does Kiki Kuti come into this? Well, like the jet sweep motions, the reverses, okay. the the that kind of thing, the crossing patterns, the type of stuff that you can do with an athletic player who is versatile, and you add into the fact that he can he can you know throw the football like. There are a lot of draft picks in the NFL, a lot of first-round draft picks in the NFL that become useless. Blaine Gabbard is useless, right? Jake Locker eventually became useless. Christian Ponder, useless. Kyler Murray, in the worst-case scenario, can't play quarterback on a full-time basis and will likely still be valuable to his team uh, in in an event where he is like that, that what is increasingly happening more, which is other players beyond the quarterback throwing the football, catching the football, that kind of thing. To me, I think that adds a little bit of a wrinkle to it. And if this was 10 years ago, I think the, the floor would be a lot lower, but I think now it's higher. Yeah, so those are all things that are great. 
about Kyler Murray. There are some things that are questionable, right? And what I just yeah. talked about was how well does he do when he's in the pocket throwing to guys that aren't just wide open. So we we track the ball location of throws by all these quarterbacks at the college level. I'm looking at Greer, Haskins, and Murray. Murray leads in throws from the pocket accuracy, accuracy on throws from the pocket to open receivers best accuracy rate which we know is the most stable of the metrics the most stable right translates the best um didn't have a whole ton of those throws Dwayne Haskins had many more played in the pocket a lot more obviously um but where Murray falls off is guys with a step of separation throwing to those guys from within the pocket he is the lowest graded of the three the worst accuracy of the three um and so that would be, I think, the concern that people are going to bring up, right? Yep. And it's a, probably a legitimate one. But we've been doing a lot of work on projecting guys from college to the pros using their PFF grading structure, the things that they're doing in different strands of play, and looking at how that will go to the NFL. And so I, the question here is going to be, what should the Cardinals do, right? Should the Cardinals actually consider trading away Josh Rosen and drafting Kyler Murray what do you think, and what do the numbers say? Well, I mean, and this is all preliminary, but so far, Murray's what Murray's done is pretty unique, but it has projected to pretty solid play uh, at the NFL level. Some of his comps, you know, the Russell Wilsons of the world, uh, even seeing a little bit of Jameis Winston in there, seeing a little bit of Wentz, uh, you know, I think, and, and, we, and we've done this in the sense of trying to give him the same pressure numbers that a guy like Rosen had his rookie year of 40 40-ish percent uh that he does look favorable there in terms of like comps with respect to PFF grade per snap completion percentage yards per attempt EPA generated what cluster the guys in and you know Rosen his data was not similarly good and and, and we saw you know last season he had a negative 0.34 expected points added per dropback that was the worst among all quarterbacks. It was not as bad, right? So his PFF grade was nowhere near as bad. But what we saw was that in in situations that did not elicit perfect conditions, he was poor. And and, and so, um, in my opinion, it, it really does depend. We talked about this earlier today. To me, it depends upon what the market values more. Because I could take either guy. And I could probably... And if I'm Cliff Kingsbury... And I'm a brilliant young NF, you know, offensive mind. I probably think I could use either guy, and yeah. so and so, I would I would probably take the probably allow other teams to take the asset that they value more. Ultimately, both of these guys are going to need some teammates yes. that can play well in order to succeed. So I think your your point is exactly how you should approach it. Both are on the table. Who am I getting more for the number one pick? or Josh Rosen, and that's the deal I'm taking and I'm going from there because this team needs a ton. You mentioned projecting a player to the NFL given a certain condition, and that's what we're doing here. That's the tool that we've been putting a lot of work into. allows you to say, okay, let me project Kyler Murray to the NFL given a pressure rate of 42%, and I can see how that would project Josh Rosen last year into the same situation. And as you mentioned, Murray stands out as a much better player in that situation than Josh Rosen does. Josh Rosen, more of a Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum type, given that amount of pressure. Yeah. Kyler Murray, 
plays well under pressure as unstable as that is but it allows him to get a little bit of a higher end on the variance scale when the variance does tend to the higher end josh rosen didn't quite have that so it allows you to kind of see where kyler murray could be more valuable now if you get a ton of assets you can build the offensive line. You can allow. You can make try and make that jump that the Rams did, which they obviously was huge. But a lot of that had to do with that offensive line. That offensive line was intact and has been intact basically since McVay got there, yes. and that has allowed them to do these long developing play action plays from a clean pocket. If if the Cardinals tried to do that tomorrow, Josh Rosen would die. Let Let's bring up one more question that that you just made me think of that we approached at times last off season. It seemed silly on its face early in the season, but now I think is actually valid. If you're the Los Angeles Rams, what do you do when Goff's contract is a year from being up? This is a really good question. Because the tough thing about it is if you are going to, if you're not going to extend, extend him, you have to have a contingency plan. Does that doesn't that mean you have to start drafting quarterbacks? And guys don't like being. This isn't the eighties. Like you guys don't like being the starter while the other team drafts. A, I mean, look at Flacco with, with Jackson. Right, right. You know? it's not an easy thing to do. I am leaning towards you have to keep him. Okay. Because I, I just think his high, his ceiling is still really high. I think he. To me, Jared Goff is still suffering from post-Fisher traumatic syndrome. He's still got that, oh no, I'm yeah. going to get killed in the pocket um, in certain games. I think we saw that in the Bears game. So that's I would lean towards you can probably, that will, that will go away with time and with McVay's tutelage and all that stuff. Um, but if it doesn't, then I think you cut bait. Here, here's, a, here's a thing that I think would be, is the, is the biggest... Uh, piece of data to support having a minor league system in NFL. So there are two quarterbacks right now who we talked about yesterday, Case Keenum and Nick Foles. Perfect contingency plans, right? And if and if we had if the NFL had a stable of 16 of those guys, I think I think they'd be much more like so if you're the Rams, let's say you gave and we talked about this on the podcast. What if you gave Case Keenum a six-year, $60 million guaranteed deal. And you just said, you're our backup quarterback, and we trust you to start. You know, the, the Eagles did the same thing with Foles. The Bears did the same thing with Chase Daniel. And you, you consistently have a quarterback who is going to get you to 7-9, and 9-7. Nine, nine and seven. And then you continuously roll the dice with these quarterbacks waiting for the next Aaron Rodgers. And to me, that's like. But the problem with that is that we don't know. We there aren't sixteen case like as weird as it sounds. There aren't eight sixteen case Keenum's out there. There aren't sixteen Nick Foles. If we had some sort of a minor league system, if we had some sort of a like a you know backup catcher in Major League Baseball is like the great one, right? Like you start every fifth day, you know. Like it's. But if we had something like that, I do think that that could would be a model that teams would employ continuously draft the next blue chip guy trade away because the, the part about golf that's going to be great is if they do cut bait on him they will trade him and get the the top high enough pick to draft the next guy first overall you know that is also a good question what would a team give up 
for Goff. I mean, because the the tough thing about that is when, as soon as you offer someone in a trade, his value goes down. Yeah. I don't know how many teams are just going to spuriously call the Rams and go, hey, are you interested in trading Jared Goff? Yeah. How much of the league has wised up since like the Jay Cutler trade, though? You know what I'm saying? Because when, when McDaniel got to Denver, he wanted to trade for Castle. It got out. Cutler got pissed off. And then they trade him to the Bears. And, and it was still a, a you know, and, yep. and Cutler was probably what? Generously the 10th best quarterback at the time. So, Maybe. like, I don't know. I. I agree that in a, in a completely rational league where everybody's trying to optimize everything, it doesn't. It. I agree with you. I still think there are teams uh, that that would do it, and so, so it's a great discussion. I think it's something we should talk about all off season because yeah, we're just scratching the surface. To put a cap on that, there is a middle ground that I think Sean McVay, as the greatest coach to ever walk the face of the earth, can achieve interestingly that belichick has already achieved which is to say we want to compete for championships to do that we need to pay you less and if anyone can explain if anyone can get jared goff to see because i i think jared goff is great as far as everything i heard him say has been fantastic i think he's dealt with adversity pretty well um to understand that look i'm not the best quarterback in the nfl i'm not going to demand the highest contract that has ever been paid. I don't need that. What I need is Super Bowls. Because yeah. if Jared Goff says, I'm going to become famous by being the best quarterback ever to play, he's not. He's going to fail. If he says, I have a unique opportunity to build a championship caliber team with Sean McVay, and that can make me really famous, he's, that, that is the jump that you have to make. And that's the, the right move to make in, for him because it, it expands his career. Every coach possible. on board with that idea should show a picture of Eli Manning to that quarterback and yep. say, look, Eli Manning is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He will be a Hall of Fame quarterback because he won two Super Bowls. If you win two Super Bowls with me, you will immediately be in that conversation. And you're better than Eli Manning. And you're better than Eli Manning. So yep. go, go. let's go for it. Let's do it. That's what he should do. Okay, we spent a, a lot of time on that, but that's okay. We're going to do a couple of quick dark web considerations, really just so that we can get our sponsor in here. Sampo Ranta is a sparkling water for men, finally. I mean, uh, finally. Finally something for the guys out there that love sparkling water. Sampo Ranta, of course, a new flavor every week. This week's flavor for the divisional round, it's a pretty great one. Sparkling water for men by Sampo Ranta. Divisional round flavor is disenfranchised dragon fruit with a mere suggestion of defense wins championships that immediately elicits a higher level of testosterone you'll like it and she'll like it too sample rot (laughs) disenfranchised dragon fruit so when will people think about defense man that's true they came through last week too couple of couple of big things here uh the college football national championship game the only thing that we need to take away from this game rushing yards alabama 152 Clemson 41. Alabama, congratulations. You've won the third, college football. Third national championship in four tries. National championship. That was impressive. Ben Glaceman, thank you for the tweet. Am I missing something? Alabama established the run, so they are imbued with the win, right? Incredible. <laughs> yeah, apparently throwing matters. Um, our buddy, Ed Egros from Fox 4 in Dallas. Uh, he <laughs> he was looking at the Ravens uh, 
passing yards, I think it was through the third quarter, had negative two. And of course, our friend Josh Hermsmeyer asked, is that good? Is that good or not? And Ed said, uh, when I said Baker Mayfield was by far the best quarterback among the rookie class, at what point can I start demanding apologies from the naysayers? You can do that immediately. Yep. Neil Hornsby, the founder of PFF, has already uh, sent out invoices for apologies. Let's... Yeah, let's curtail that a bit. <laughs> to say that Neil is over the moon about Baker Mayfield would be a drastic understatement. Yeah. And and we all the funny thing is how do you not like Baker Mayfield, right? But Neil likes Baker Mayfield on a whole new level. Yeah. Um and then uh ten of twelve teams in the playoffs, this is by uh Kevin Goodham, I think I'm saying that right. The Good seven. Yeah, ten of twelve teams in the playoffs are top sixteen in rushing. Of the 4,000-yard passers, Luck has uh, had the least help in, in rushing. Colts are 20th. The Vikings are 30th. Rivers, Cousins, basic stats are identical, but Rivers had a rushing game. Yeah, so this, of course, was, I think, last week. Um, obviously, the uh, some of the run running and stopping the run teams lost last week in the playoffs. Uh, not uh, uh, Not surprisingly, but here's the thing. Folks, where the playoff teams rank in total rushing yards is not a feather in the cap for rushing. Teams that are ahead run the ball more and often are successful doing it because they're successful passing as well. And if you are going to put Philip Rivers and Kirk Cousins in the same sentence, then you're you're doing wrong. Yeah, you're doing but this wrong. brings us this brings us to a good point, which is a particular coach that we have rooted for many, many times. Our buddy, Dan Quinn, with the Atlanta Falcons. There are a couple of things. They hired Dirk Cutter to be their offensive coordinator. We'll yep. talk about him in a second. But Dan Quinn, according to at Falcons Kelsey, she has a blue check mark, so she must be correct. Dan Quinn wants more run attempts in games this year, which is great to hear because... That means they'll be ahead. Winning games yeah. is a is a good goal for the Falcons. They should be winning more games this year, and with that comes running attempts. It is amazing how bad people are at causation <laughs> versus correlation. Yeah, uh, run attempts themselves do not actually score you points. That run is run attempts a are an award for scoring points. <laughs> they are what you get after you've built a lead. If you want to see uh, an example of this, go watch the Colts Texans game. At the end of the game, you look at the box score. Marlon Mack had like 150 yards. If you watch the first half for the while the Colts score 21 to go up 21 nothing, their best run play they have like two good run plays. One is a reverse. Everything else is Andrew, Andrew Luck just throwing lasers all over the field. Um, but what's interesting about the Falcons hiring Cutter is that Cutter has kind of come out and said, "Oh, I don't really listen to math and all this stuff," but sort of maybe unintentionally, has actually been a pretty smart play caller. Yeah, so Monken called the plays in 18, but Tampa Bay during that season had the best decisions. And, you know, we basically take neutral game situation, look at second down. From an EPA standpoint, they ran, they mostly passed the ball, but sometimes running is a better decision. They made the right decision 70% of the time, which is the best in the NFL. Uh, the Falcons were fifth worst at just under 57%. In 2017, again, going back a little bit in, into the Cutter era, the Falcons were fourth, and the Fal- or the, the, sorry, Bucks, were the fourth. Bucks were fourth, and the Falcons were fifth worst again. 
if you just and, and the Falcons, as I wrote in the article this week, they do a pretty good job on first down throwing. They throw the ball on first down relatively well. It's that second down run play, and so the edges are not that are not that thick in the NFL. If you just made better decisions on second and long, second down even in general, I do think that the uh, that the Falcons will start to see the fruits of all that offensive talent they have. Um, I'm excited for their prospects. I, I don't necessarily know if we'll go as all in on them next year as we did this year, but it is a solid sign for them to get Dirk Cutter here because I do think he'll use uh, that offensive talent really well. Tampa Bay's problems was not their offense. No, they were very not. efficient. Well, some of it was throwing the ball away to the other team. Yes, on but offense. on a play-for-play basis, they were one of the more efficient offenses yes, in the NFL. From the last a yardage-gaining standpoint, that yeah. is correct. One of the interesting things about when you tell people that you should pass on second and long, and they go, well, if you pass every single time, other teams will know that. And I just want to point out something unique about the passing game. It is a lot easier when you're throwing the ball to do different things throwing the ball yes. than it is to do different things when you run the ball where you hike the ball you turn around you run away from the line to gain and you hand the ball off to a guy that then has to run with it running with the ball is much much slower than throwing the ball traveling through the air so before you you go crazy about the idea of passing the ball a ton the Chiefs do it over 80% of the time on second and long and are the most successful second and long team because they implement diversity in the passing game because it's possible on first and second down right on that people think about the passing game as 1989 dan marino dropping back to pass bruce smith rushing him off the end and and because it's third and seven he has only one option and that's to throw the ball downfield passing on first and second down allows you to be diverse you could throw it short you could throw it to backs you could throw it to tight ends you don't have to pick up a first down you can if you want to but you don't have to. Passing is not standing in the shotgun on third and long and taking on a rush and having to beat man coverage. It's all the great stuff you can do on early downs, and that's why you should throw on early downs. I mean, that's and and as you said, you have more. Div- How many different run concepts are there? Like a half a dozen, I really, mean, if you group them. Yeah, at, at most, right? And teams aren't going to run half a dozen. Yeah, and there's one running back that can get the ball generally. A quarterback, there's some. Deception. They're funny. Deception works in the NFL. Receiver, you have five receivers in the pattern, and the quarterback can scramble. So there's just more options when you throw the football, and there's and there's doubly more options when you throw the ball in first and second down. Yep. All right. Um, we're going to move on to the divisional round. We have to post when the divisional round talk starts, or people are never going to get it. <laughs> there's no way. All right. Let's 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 go through this game by game. There are a couple of interesting bits and pieces that we'll throw in here. Some nice trends. About a couple of these games. Um, a stable stat of the season, which comes into play here. Let's start with the early game on Saturday. It's where I'm going to be. I'm flying out to Kansas City last time I'm traveling. I'm kind of excited. Al, Chris, George, Fred. It's, it's, a, uh, it's quite a combo. I'm certainly the most important of that group. Anyways, uh, barbecue is coming my way. The Colts are everyone's favorite team right now. They're an underdog. They have a great quarterback. They have a great story at coach. Yep. They have a great story on the defensive side of the ball. But they're five-point underdogs. To, where is the biggest edge for the Chiefs? Because it doesn't necessarily seem that it's offense. Everyone is talking about the yeah. Colts' offense. What do you think? Yeah, and it's even moved back. It's moved between five and a half and five. We see it now at five and a half on green oh, line. It's already five and a half. It was yeah. five. 
20 minutes I know. ago. We're, we're disappointed because we do want to we do event, we do want to print this one out. So um, the the Chiefs have an edge offensively. I mean, there's no doubt about it in my mind. Um, Indianapolis is great, but they do it, I think, a little bit differently. As as I've said before, I think Andrew Luck, the entire offense is designed to make Andrew Luck look good. He has looked good. He's, you know, as you said, they lay, they lay off him when they're ahead, et cetera, et cetera. The Chiefs offense is designed to stress Patrick Mahomes, and they do, and he delivers. And, and to me, that's like where the edge is. I think if there are any perturbations to the game script for the Colts offensively, it'll be tough for them. And I think that the, the Chiefs offense is relatively impervious to perturbations. That's how you go the entire season scoring 26 points in every single game. Colts were shut out in Jacksonville, right? So we, we have seen that situation uh, occur. The, the stable stat of the season, I think, also highlights a little bit of this here. So when you look at teams in terms of their ability to win the Super Bowl via our simulation, you got the, the Saints at 30%, the Chiefs at 18.1%, all down the list. It's basically the same order as the percentage of negatively graded throws that a quarterback has. Breeze is first with seven. Mahomes, 9%. You get down to luck. He's at about 13% of his throws are negatively graded. So, you know, a full 50% more of his turnover-worthy play, or of his negatively graded throws uh, than Pat Mahomes. So those are opportunities for the Chiefs to get interceptions. Those are opportunities to stop them on third down. Those are opportunities to, uh, you know, turn the tide and and I think the Chiefs offense gets one or two of those at home they've been better at home this year and and that's what, what where I think their edge is so at five at five is sort of that number right at five the Chiefs seem like the smart the smart choice there I think it opened up at six five and a half right in the middle it's tough to go either way a couple of interesting things you know to support why this number makes a lot of sense both offensive offenses have been really good but the Chiefs have been for lack of a better term generationally good in their consistency and their explosiveness Um, I think I talked about this earlier in the week but number of quarters without an offensive touchdown the Chiefs have just 17 it's the lowest number in the NFL it's the fewest since the 2013 if I can speak the 2013 Denver Broncos when they had 17 and the Colts aren't bad 23 quarters without an offensive touchdown that's fourth way better than 32nd where they were last year but the chiefs are also ridiculously explosive quarters with two or more offensive touchdowns they have 17 that is also first the most since the 2014 denver broncos colts are good they've had 11 but you just expect the chiefs to put it on you every quarter and to have one where they just explode and as we've seen the colts are not quite that team Right? They're good, but they're not necessarily great. <clears throat> and they don't stop. The The Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, or Mahomes is the highest-graded quarterback in the NFL throwing against zone. Yep. So what the Chiefs do really, really well is exploit what Indianapolis has done really, really well. So um, bringing up sort of another opportunity, we talked about live betting uh, the Philadelphia game last week. I think that would have been a pretty good play for, for those that did it. In this game, there's a pretty good prop, I think, that, that if you want to, you can take advantage of. it. Money has come in on, bo- on that side in both cases, but the Chiefs are a team, as you said, that likes to get out ahead, like to score in bunches. 
the team best, total best team in first two drives. The team total for the Chiefs in the first half this season is or it, uh, on Saturday is fourteen and a half. So if you're thinking about okay, quarters with more than two touchdowns, quarters with you know starting the game with two touchdowns, I think if we don't print up the Chiefs against the spread, this will probably be what we print up, and and I think it's I think it's one of the better bets this week. Chiefs over fourteen and a half first half points. Yep, they have sixteen touchdowns on their first two drives this season. <coughs> By the way, that's fifty percent. The only team to be fifty percent. Mahomes, both the second highest graded quarterback against cover two and cover three, yep. makes up uh, a large portion of the Colts' um, defensive coverages. Yep. Co- they basically just run cover two and and cover three um, all of the time. Uh, so yeah, I, I think um, I think that's a wise move. And, and if we if if history is anything, right? The Chiefs have gotten off to fast starts in the playoffs and have tailed off at the end. Yeah. So if you're thinking about a total, the first half is probably the smarter one, uh, and they they've done the same thing against the Chargers. They did the same thing, you know, against the Oakland Raiders recently. I also worry, I worry a little bit about the Colts having used their best bullets already. So one of the things that they did, Watson was horrible, missed a ton of throws in that game, the worst game that he has had in quite some time. The Colts used a slot blitz 14 times against the Texans by far the most they've ever used in a game they use it fairly frequently 34 times in the previous seven games but 14 in a game was huge and it was wildly successful 1.7 yards per play on those 14 plays so if you are prepared for that if you're prepared for them pretending they're playing man but really playing zone and you know they play zone 70 percent of the time that worries me a little bit given andy reed and how good pat mahomes has been and it yeah Okay, so if it goes to five, Chiefs for the whole game, Chiefs over 14 and a half is it's probably, probably a good favorite. play regardless, yeah. Okay. All right, I'm with you. 14. The half point scares well, me so, a little bit. And, and that's a good point. Like a lot of times they'll hang this 13 and a half against just, uh, you know, average to above average offenses, and it's a sucker play because, you know, getting to 14 for an average offense during a half is tough. And then they, they, they give you the full extra point there, 14 and a half, but. All those situations with the Chiefs make them a far better than average offense, and so I think they get to 17 by halftime at least here, probably maybe even 21. You know, last season they placed a much tougher Titans defense in the playoffs. weren't a weren't a great offense. Got to 21 by halftime. So, wow. well, if it happened last year, it's yeah. going to happen this year. The night game on Saturday, the Dallas Cowboys going into Los Angeles. This should be an interesting game if for nothing other than it's Dallas-Los Angeles, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about given where these franchises have been over the past few seasons, um, particularly the Rams, I guess. Rams favored by seven. It's kind of hung there all week. It's It really hasn't moved at all. This was one that I don't think either of us would have predicted on Monday. I don't think any of us... Well, I think we actually would look stupid rel- yeah, yeah, on Monday saying I think that- we were both going to go with the Rams, but the Cowboys are... Um, a pick here we the math says six and a half is what the spread should be obviously seven is a key number here and as good as the rams are they have not been nearly as great recently during the during the stretch there so i guess i can get on board with it i mean if you look at recent uh, performances by them i could see this game being somewhere between how they played against the lions and how they played against the the bears and the eagles the subsequent two weeks, right? The Lions are a bad team. They let them hang around. Um, you know, 
Dallas is a far better defense than the than than the the Lions and the Eagles and I don't, I actually put their defense in the same equivalence class as the Bears, right? And so we've seen at times how, you know, teams have been able to shut down the Rams. Are you making an argument for defense? No, what I'm I'm not Uh-oh. the Rams are not the I I don't think Dallas is going to win this game. But what I'm saying is I I don't I think Dallas if they look at and see how the Bears did not bite on play action, right? They did not, you know, they covered the receivers while well, I know they're not as strong in the secondary as the Bears, but they do have a, a, a very athletic defense. I do think that if Dak plays really well, this game could be close. And and we again, Jared Goff has shown us a lot more uncertainty over the last you know, month. He, he definitely has. Uh, Zach Martin is questionable. Is he? I presume I will look up right now. I presume he's going to play, but that would be a, a real tough. question for me because if Zach Martin can't play, then Aaron Donald would figure. You know, to be prevalent. Um, he's close to 100% this week, so it seems like he's going to play. If he's not 100%, that would worry me a little bit as well. But seven, seven is a big number. The, the Rams' defense is certainly nothing overall to be terrified of. Yeah. Um, and you would figure that the Cowboys will you know, have to kind of air it out and try and score some points. Here's something that I think you have to consider when you're looking at this number. Home field advantage matters in the playoffs. It matters more than a regular game. A bye matters. This is not a home game for the Los yes. Angeles Rams. This is, is a temporary stadium. That's the best point I've heard. I was going to say, I'm really, a, really struggling to get on board with yeah. this. This is a great this point. This is a temporary stadium. There, there are a ton of Dallas Cowboy fans in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. It's, they're... It will be. This is going to be the most hostile environment yeah. the Rams have played in since they went to Chicago and New Orleans. Correct. So, so if you want to get behind that home field advantage bit, you, I think home field advantage is going to factor prominently in three of the four games this weekend. This is not one of them. This is why I think the number here, even though when we first looked at the projections, you and I both looked at each other and said, how, how are we going to make a case for Dallas? That is one uh, that I think the market is overreacting uh, to the uh, to the the Rams being at home here. Well, I'll give you I'll give you one more, and this has been the knock on Jared Goff all season. He has a propensity to give you some turnover worthy plays. Yes. That is just simply what happens of the of the quarterbacks left in the uh, in the in the tournament right now. He is going to give you the highest rate of turnover-worthy plays, the most opportunities to turn the ball over, um, and that obviously matters, right? So that would worry me a little bit. Dak Prescott isn't going to make as many highlight-level throws. He but, does have some negatively graded throws, for sure. But, but he, the turnover-worthy play rate is a little bit lower. So He also makes plays with his legs, which we know matters and was a backbreaker for Seattle last week. It was. Uh Plays with legs, a real backbreaker for Seattle last week. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, although, I don't know if you know this, but successful third down plays never work on second down. It's a theorem. Oh, really? Yeah, you should check it out. All right, Sunday, the morning game, the Chargers of Los Angeles. I love your West Coast uh, like orientation. Okay. It is the morning game. I'm actually going to be in L.A., when this game happens. So that's why it is the morning game in my mind. It is a morning game for the Chargers as they will be traveling across the country. This has been much talked about, obviously. The 
Patriots are playing at home in what could be, I'm going to check the up-to-date weather right now, a little bit of a snowy situation there. Current line is four. We don't have a pick here, but give me your thoughts. What are the crucial matchups here? If you had to take one side, where would you go? So I think most people, and I'm one of them, think that the Chargers are a much more talented team than New England. They are. And a lot of the other stuff is why the the favorite uh, the, the New England's a favorite. However, when I looked at some of the early down stuff, it actually was remarkable to me how similar New England was to the Chargers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're basically same EPA on passing plays, same EPA on running plays offensively on early downs, similar success rates. In fact, New England's a little bit more successful on a play for play, for play basis in the passing game. We we talked about this on the uh, on the SI gambling show. The New England Patriots have dropped more third down passes as a percentage of their quarterback's throws than any any team in the league. Those are yards. Those are touchdowns. Those oh, are things that were not. Is that what those are? Th- those are things that were not that are not in Tom Brady's score sheet that were in them last year. Maybe maybe those they maybe that's more even than we think. And then we look at defensively, the Chargers are the best defense in the AFC from a perspective of EPA allowed. However, the success rate metrics. New England is not far behind. In fact, they're very, very similar in terms of play-for-play success, both against the run and the pass. In fact, New England's a little bit better uh, against the run. So let's assume they're even. Let's assume the two teams are even. Then if you look at handicap in this game, West Coast to East Coast, 10 o'clock in the morning, Foxborough Stadium, that's where you get the four points, right? That, that's where the four points come from. Yeah. In my mind, there is one advantage not we haven't even talked about this one right this is the one advantage that the patriots have which is coaching yeah and as great as anthony lynn has been bill belichick with this much time to prepare you would you would assume that he was well prepared for both teams probably more so for the charge i would guess that he thought the chargers were going to win that game um and has been so good against philip rivers but here's what worries me the the Patriots have had one trump card for however many years. That's been Gronk. I, I expect to see nothing from Gronk. Derwin James is the best player in the NFL right now for covering Rob Gronkowski if he were at his peak. Gronk looks like a right tackle out there at times now. Jeez. I am taking Derwin James in that matchup. I mean, you know my love for Derwin James. I still dream of him in a 49ers uniform. But he owns that matchup. Where are you going to look next? You're going to look to Julian Edelman? Okay, but... That's where you've seen a lot of those drops on third down. You've seen a lot of drops from him on third down. The coverage ability of the Chargers is extremely good. And from a pass rush standpoint... They are not going to let you sit back there forever. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, they are very good. So to me, this is going to have to be a genius game plan from the Patriots. This is going to have to be, we are, we are so attuned to what you're going to do defensively that we are going to be incredibly efficient passing the ball. And every time you give us an edge running the ball, we are going to take the free yardage. I, I'm not, it, it's going to come down to Tom Brady, as it usually does. But there are going to be those little efficiencies, play after play, that they have to win every time because I do think they're the less talented team. I could see this being a super low-scoring game, weirdly. Yeah, and I was just going to possibly make the other case just because if you look at the weather, 26, no precipitation, 
you know, projected. Yeah, no, no snow now. And and here's the kicker: five mile per hour winds. Right? We know that wind is the most you know perva- you know pervasive. Five thing. miles is nothing though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So we're we're not talking about 25 with 20 mile yeah, hour yeah. wind. That does. Ch- oh, I thought there was going to be snow. I was yeah, getting yeah. excited. So so I think I think weirdly snow Thursday. We, you know, if we had the if we had the appetite for an over here, this could be an over game. Um, oh, you're just going to poop all over me. No, I, I mean, I think there are two scenarios in this 47 and a half is the market right now. Yeah, so I think I think there are two scenarios, and your one falls into in a clear one, which is that New England muddies the heck out of this game, and they win it you know, pretty convincingly by stepping on Phillip Rivers all game, and it's 17-3, and I could see that happening. I could also see this game being a shootout between two brilliant quarterbacks, kind of, you know, yeah. Phillip Rivers trying to get his first win against Brady, all this kind of stuff. Chargers having just played, the Patriots are fresh. Yeah, at, certainly. I mean, it, here's the other thing, is the Patriots, when they faced the Chargers, have decided to throw the ball a crap ton. Yeah. So it would be it would be a departure from what Belichick has done against the Chargers in the past. Um, yeah. But I don't know, man. I just I can't imagine Gronk being a factor in this game, given how good Derwin James has been. And you know that the you know the Patriots are going to try and keep Tom Brady clean. Yeah. And this, so that's going to require some quick throws. This would be a, this would have been a game where the where their their love for having two good tight ends would have really bailed them out, and they don't have two good tight ends anymore. So it is going to be a struggle for them. If you have to take one side at minus four, you're going with? I think the coaching edge makes – I'd go Patriots laying the points. Yep. I, so are we going to compete this week? We'll maybe oh, one, we should, have one have one count. Oh, my God. I do not want this to be the one, though. <laughs> okay. Ugh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go actually, Patriots. Actually, well. fair – no. This next game, you will have a different opinion than me because we've talked all week, and so I think that that will be the game we compete against. We all right, so at, it, at uh, five and a half for the Chiefs, let's mark this down. By the way, you have a one-game lead because I took the Texans like an idiot, minus yeah. one. Still thought there was value there. Apparently, Deshaun Watson disagreed. Uh, Chiefs, five and a half. We are both going to take... I'm going to take KC, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't... Ugh. And then Dallas, LAR, we're both going to hold our nose and take Dow. We're both going to hold our nose and take Dallas. Um, and then we're both taking the Patriots. Okay, this brings us to the Sunday night capper, the Philadelphia Eagles going into New Orleans. Currently, Saints by eight. I believe it opened at nine. Yep. Saints, the number one team in the NFL by everyone's power ranking. The best chance to win the Super Bowl. We have them at plus 223. Um, I think you can actually get them for plus two fifty in some places. That so not a bad, not a bad uh, option. Okay, Nick Foles lives on the edge of variance. That's what he's done. He has been impeccable. He took his first third down sack last week, and he took one. Been ridiculous under pressure. Has the best pass rating under pressure of any quarterback. All things that are just stupidly unstable. This is the same conversation we had last, last season. Year. Right, because he had like a 150 pass rating on deep throws. I remember you saying this. If he does this in the Super Bowl, he will be the MVP. he'll be the MVP. And he did it in the Super Bowl. He was the MVP. Hearing, you know, I, I had the opportunity to kind of hear some things about 
the Eagles and and talked to some people last week being in Chicago. It's it's just a different culture, man. They, they've got the underdog swagger. They've got the ski mask thing going. They had Sean Payton lighting or uh, showing up with money and the Lombardi Trophy, which has always worked for them morally and from a winning a Super Bowl perspective. <laughs> I mean, there's no way that the Eagles aren't fired up about this, yeah. and they are eight point dogs. They have a dominant defensive line, but here's the key: their corners are not as terrible. They have athletic linebackers, Alvin Kamara is the number two receiver for the Saints. Yeah. He is going to have to be a big, op, a, 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 a huge target for Drew Brees in this one, especially with that defensive line putting pressure on the quarterback. I am going to... Our green line number is right at eight, so we're going to have to somehow decide. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Eagles getting eight. Well, that's why. I, I'm going to go with the Saints laying the eight. Be, okay. So here's the thing. The, to piggyback, I need this one. To really pig, need this to one. Pig, to piggy, well, because I haven't tweeted since Jan one, so you're going to be down two. If uh, uh, why don't you just continue with your point? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> your, your face got all upset when I I'm said. I'm very that. angry. So, um, the, to to piggyback on your point, I do think the Eagles' defense is the defensive backfield has started to improve. They get pressure without blitzing, which was huge. During the the stretch run of the regular season, it'll be huge now because again, the the New Orleans Saints, you know, Ted Ginn is their number two receiver, right? So and and that's you know generous. I I just a week off, Sean Payton, the dome, Drew Brees, defense that's improving. Who I mean to me, who's got the better defense, the Eagles or the Saints? The Eagles. Okay, so that's where we disagree, and that's probably where it'll come up. Here I actually don't care about the defense. This is solely – this is me saying the the Eagles are going to eagle their way this is a into culture a close pick. game. This is a – I'm looking at, a, at an Eagles player in a ski mask, losing his damn mind on the sideline, having made some incredible you know play on Drew Brees. But the point you make is huge. Blitz at the lowest rate in the NFL – and on plays where they do not blitz have the highest pressure rate. Yeah. That is immensely valuable, especially when you're playing Drew Brees, because he is the best, highest-graded uh, quarterback against the blitz over the past three seasons. Yep. And if you can avoid blitzing, you take away an element of Drew Brees' game. Michael Thomas and Kamara are not high average depth of target guys. They're high yak guys. And so you need you need defenders in the back end who aren't blitzing to tackle the yak guys. And I think that that's you know, where the Eagles might be able to mitigate some of the issues. Now, clearly things have changed since they lost 48-7 to you know, back in November or December or so. Well, don't you think that's influencing this a bit? The line? Yeah. Absolutely. But the thing is, is the line is basically the same as it was then. So mm-hmm. back then it started at nine, got down to seven, came sure. back over to nine. Sure, I think point. what the Eagles have done in the last month, and more importantly, what the Saints haven't done over the last month, like they yeah. struggled against Dallas, they struggled for a half against Tampa Bay, they scored twelve in Carolina, they had an impre- they had a I think a, an officiated aided win against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. Like the Saints are kind of one of those where you could squint a little bit and say they aren't going into the playoffs, quote unquote, hot. Um, but I still think that they are, you know, the right side here based upon everything they've done for the course of the season. I need this win 
to get back to even because if not, then we've got three games left and I'm down two. I can't afford to lose. And the this. Chiefs will be involved in two of those games, so it'll be tough. You know, I can't afford to lose this one. Um, let's let's talk briefly about a trend zone here. Actually, hold on. I, I have an idea. So I'm curious about this. So the the um, Eagles have run what the Eagles have done over the past few weeks, and this actually started before Foles uh, came in, was that they have just been using the heck out of um, uh, 12 personnel. Two tight ends on the field, Goddard and Ertz. And I'm curious what the what the Saints decide to do with that. Um, let me grab it here. So the Saints defense... Where is it here? The Saints defense has actually been pretty darn good against uh, two or fewer um, wide receivers. So it's interesting to see if they can actually <coughs> employ that um, that edge a little bit. Let me go to just passing. Yeah, so as, as you would expect, defense struggling when teams are passing with two or fewer, yeah. uh, or sorry, three or, two or fewer wide receivers. That was a really great point that I made on the fly there. Very impressive. <laughs> On early downs, also a huge, um, a huge drop off between passing with two or fewer wide receivers and three or more for the Saints defense. So it could be something that yeah, yeah for sure um, they use more Golden Tate in the divisional round. Weirdly, to I think take advantage of the fact the Bears were missing their nickel guy. Yeah, they might come back and. After, after showing that tape on, on Sunday, come back on Sunday again and, and show their two tight ends and really get an advantage uh, there. Goddard and Ertz are, are really good, right? Yep. Um, okay. So Speaking of good offensive play yes. calls, one sec. I just wanted to – this just came across the feed. Do we change our opinion on the part, first part of the podcast? The Cardinals are interviewing Ben McAdoo for their offensive coordinator job. I'm out. Okay. Abort. All right, I'm I couldn't be more out on something ever in my entire life. I'm out on Kingsbury. I'm out on the Cardinals. You're in on sideburns, but that's because of I'm out on all of that. Man, that is horrific. Um, okay, let's close it out with a couple of trend zones here. The Patriots are 15 and 0 straight up, 12 and 3 against the spread in their last 15 home games. The Chargers are 7-0 straight up and against the spread undefeated in road games this season. Now, how does that math work out? Because they've actually played on the road every no, they're, single they're game last. this year. <laughs> right, right. Um, but in games that they have not played in Los Angeles, they are 7-0 straight up and 7-0 against the spread. One of these is going to lose. One of these trends is going to lose. They have not lost a game. Where I guess they've... it's four. They could push. They have not lost a game when they have ridden an airplane this year. The only road game they lost was in L.A. against the Rams. That's a good point. So I just don't know. When worlds collide. Yeah, that's a, it's a tricky one. Um, all right. Got anything, anything else? I think we're good. Uh, right. we'll, we'll make sure that Stopsky puts the time that we actually start discussing <laughs> games in here for the, for the people. All right. We'll see you guys on Sunday evening. We're going to be looking ahead to the championship round. It's exciting. It's going to be really fun. Uh, If you have any questions, of course, hit up at PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. Peace out. 
Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get uniquely yours ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.